My name is Craig Wilson and I'm here with Toby Shepshack and we're here to talk to you about the big tech news of the week. Two things in particular from two of the biggest names in mobile devices, Apple and Huawei. Indeed, and the, the interesting thing for me about this week's Apple announcement is that in the past, Apple announcements were all about products and there was a massive amount of hype building up to the products. This time around, the big announcement was around services, the new news service, the TV service, the magazine and news service and a credit card. But in the build up to that, Apple almost nonchalantly dropped a whole bunch of product announcements almost daily, a new iMac and two new iPads, the new mm, AirPods, absolutely. and they were almost like an afterthought to this big services announcement, which in of itself is utterly remarkable, isn't it? Mm, and it speaks to this shift, right, that, you know, we've heard for years, hardware is really difficult. Hardware is really expensive. Um, it costs a lot to produce. You've got to get the shipping right. You've got to get, you know, inventory. And, and you know, it's a really, really taxing sort of market to play in. The market for software, meanwhile, you build it once, you can distribute it instantly, you can replicate it as many times as you want. You know, they're just very, very different games. And so you can see why it's so important for Apple to get into the services game you know in a bigger way than it has been and what I really enjoyed about the the Apple presentation was the constant digs a little more uh, subtle than Huawei's digs at its competitors but uh, Apple's digs at things like uh, privacy you know saying what we're going to do with all of these services is keep all of the recommendations on device keep all of the you know all of those sorts of algorithmically based things on device so that it's not going to Apple's cloud uh, and so that advertisers can't use that information to track you now I mean it, it takes a company of Apple's size to be able to say we're going to do this and we're not going to run advertising because well that's not their core business and I love that frankly I mean I I I'm very happily still Steve Jobs' bitch using an iPhone because of that very reason. Apple doesn't make its money from advertising. It makes its money from selling iPhones, right? Two-thirds of its revenues from iPhones and from other things. And I, I trust Apple with my credit card because they're not going to let someone steal my credit card details and run up a, a big credit card debt. That's Apple's job. <laughs> Apple wants me to spend my credit card with them. So I really trust them with my credit card. <laughs> not in the same way I would trust uh, Google Play with my credit card. And for that reason, and I've never logged it on. Well, sure, um, sure. But this is, so, I mean, talking about these services, the only sadness, of course, is that a bunch of what was announced this week, we're not going to see, right? True. But before we get to when it arrives in South Africa and if it will arrive, because I, I do think they, there seems to be quite a big push, so they are going to roll it out to us. And we've become, let's say, a tier two company because in the past we used to have to wait a very long time for the new iPhone. Now we get it, you know, within a month of it being released mm. in the US. So that's, that's an encouraging sign. But what's very interesting for me is that Apple is using this as a big differentiator, the fact that they're going to keep all of this information private. And and, and we are living in an era where people are much more conscious of their, of their privacy. I mean, this comes a week after Facebook announced or, or, or was uh, forced to announce that they have kept hundreds of millions of people's passwords in plain text. <laughs> and, and that's something like 20,000 people have had access to this. I mean, I love, I love their statement where they say they have found no evidence of abuse. Well, mm. funny that. But 
we need to just back up a little bit because what's very interesting is that Apple has made two thirds of its revenue from the iPhone and, and that for the very first time hit the skids as it were. I mean, they sold <laughs> the skids, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we have to look In at investor the investor terms. Yeah, we have to look at the, the kind of reaction to it. They, they sold a, you know, a, a less than a million less of, of phones that they said they would. That's in no small part because of the, the slowdown of China's economy and that the sales there aren't as strong. But basically, this, the market for these top-end phones is, is quite saturated, isn't it? So they now know what everybody else knows is that you can't keep sending everyone a new iPhone every single year because they're just not going to buy it. So they need to they need to beef up their services. Now, services was just under $11 billion in the last quarter, the same quarter that the iPhones dis- declined. $10.9 billion is nothing to sneeze at, but it's still relatively minor in terms of Apple's overall revenue sources. So this is, sure. a, this is a big push for them, but it's a big push from a pretty standing start. Well, indeed, and you have to wonder, you know, when you look at things like the uh, streaming service, the Apple TV Plus, you know, I thought this was uh, this is pretty remarkable too. You know, we talk a lot about Apple's war chest and just how much cash in hand it has, you know, that it can, you know, turn around and, and do anything it likes. What, what was Wait. the figure? 200 and something billion dollars of war chest? I mean, right. that's pretty well, so good. So now all I'm wondering is how much of that went to Oprah? Yes. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really is the is the, uh, is the the draw card, isn't it? She is a really big star. She's making two documentaries about the toxicity of the workplace and, and, uh, and they've mental also, health issues. And think, mental yeah. health issues. They've also attracted Steven Spielberg, Jennifer Aniston, Steve but this is the thing. Is, I think it's really funny when you've got this this long list of A-list stars and then you bring out Oprah and she still dwarfs all of them. I know, it's quite something. I mean, her her quote, and I want to read you this quote directly because this is the quote that I think summed up the event. They're in a billion pockets, folks. The whole world's got them in its hand and that represents a major opportunity. And that's a pretty good summation. There are a billion devices running Apple's iOS and it is a massive opportunity. Can Apple capitalize on it? Are they going to turn themselves into a services company? And I think that's the big question because there's been a lot of criticism already about the kinds of things they're going to offer. I mean, this mm. is a, you know, the Apple has tried to do television before. It's tried to do uh, news before. Mm. Will it succeed now where it hasn't succeeded in the past? Well, I don't think it's going to turn itself into a services company. I think it's going to remain a hardware company but one that sees the value in controlling uh, more of the services it offers. It's the standard sort of, the same dumb pipe argument the operators worry about. You know, where they say, well, if, you, if you're only using us for data, you're not using us for calls, you're not using us for services, and you're paying Netflix uh, for, you know, what you're using the data for, uh, I guess this is the risk with Apple. They don't want you to just be buying Apple devices to run uh, Netflix and Showmax and other people's banking apps and other people's gaming services. And so, you know, it wants its pound of flesh. I, I think to the arcade... Um, the arcade portion, the Apple Arcade, which is their as yet to be priced game subscription service. I thought that was very interesting too. Again, more swinging of that war chest around. You've got a hundred plus unique titles that launch. And now the interesting thing is for me, I'm a I'm a super, super casual gamer. You know, I love a platformer, I love mobile games, I, and I play them very, very seldom. And I thought the the Apple Arcade announcement was very interesting. I was talking to some of the other members of the stuff team. 
team who are dyed-in-the-wool gamers. And the funny thing is they were largely left pretty lukewarm at best, uh, really pretty cold about it. They said, you know, that unless the titles are incredibly appealing, uh, they're not interested in Apple products, they're not interested in the closed ecosystem, and they're also just not sold by the aesthetic. You know, the, the, the previews of the games they saw last night all look far too Apple-esque <laughs> for their taste, which I, mean, I, which I thought was really interesting. But and, it, and it's worth saying that they are hardcore gamers. Well, and, this is and, what I mean. But this, this, they, is this, Apple's, this is Apple's mastery, isn't it? Is, is that it attracts the everyman, the every woman, the casual gamer, the mm. person who wants to play a quick game standing in a queue or sitting on a bus. Or Well, this is, I, so what I thought it was most interesting was actually it sort of it feels more like a challenge to something like the Nintendo Switch than it does the play the Sony PlayStations or the Microsoft Xboxes, right? Because another thing that they're they're um, talking up is the fact that it'll be able to hand off between devices. So you'll be able to play on your Apple TV, uh, and then you've got to head out and catch the car train. Say you grab your iPad, you can play on, keep playing the same game where you left off on your iPad. Uh, you switch to the the queue to check in. You can switch to your iPhone. Um, of course, though, you will need an iPhone, an iPad, uh, and travel and, with uh, all of those, and an Apple t- <laughs> and to travel with all those, so, and an so- Apple. TV for, for all of these these options to work. So I'm wholly in the Apple universe. I have a Mac, I have an iPhone, I have an iPad, I have an Apple TV and all of this handoff stuff that I thought would be so wonderfully useful, I just don't use it. Right, in terms of calls, no, I mean, you know I think most people, after continuity I think it's called, after continuity came out uh, you know, your laptop rings three times and then you go to hell with this and turn that Exactly, off. I can't tell you how many people I phone and I can still hear their laptop ringing and it doesn't stop ringing even though the phone call's been picked up on the... So that was a a good idea. That didn't go anywhere. I mean, let's unpack some of the services a little bit more. I mean, the gaming, 100 games, a subscription service, it'll be a separate tab in the the App Store. I think that's quite interesting for for so many people. And gaming remains one of the most sought-after apps that people will use. I'm particularly interested, as the publisher and owner of it, magazine i'm particularly interested in In this news News plus Plus. service so the list of publications that they've got on board is pretty impressive the wall street journal the los angeles times vogue the new yorker national geographic rolling stone sports illustrated i mean these are pretty good they've got 300 glossy magazines and it's going to cost you ten dollars a month to subscribe to all of these whether you can read all of them is another question i subscribe to several publications already and I I struggle to get through them as it is but I'm paying pretty much the same per publication so there's there's definitely an attraction as a media owner how would I feel about giving 50% of that revenue to Apple well it's 50% of something you didn't have before. It's clearly too much for the the um, the New York Times and the Washington Post, so they're not participating. But if there are a billion people, and let's say only a third, 300 million people take that up, that's revenue you're not getting from anywhere else, and 50% of that is 50% of something you weren't getting before. So there is a business case for it. Mm. Are people who already subscribe to those publications going to drop their subscription and move over? I don't know. You know, I I, I, mean, I do worry a little bit about that. I worry about it cannibalizing existing digital uh, subscriptions because obviously, if you can have all of them for one ten dollar fee versus paying the individual publishers, you, you know, as an end user, you're going to save a lot of money, but that 
that means far less money being spent on on the media. I mean, what I thought was interesting, you mentioned the New York Times. And I think what's equally interesting is what's included is what is excluded. And I think it's yeah. going to be interesting to watch over time, you know, how the platform uh, progresses and how many people who are not signed up now choose to sign up. I'm also interested to see what it does in terms of changing how magazines are laid out. You know, they showed off last night uh, that you can have you can have the story laid out one way for iPhone, one way for iPad, and you know, I mean, this this just increases the sort yeah, of the, the labor required, um, and the, well, and the labor required, you know, from your from the sort of designers. But you know, I can also imagine a, a world where there are you know sort of templates that you you drop these things in and that we'll streamline this very quickly you know and things like the live covers are kind of fun they reminded me of the the moving pictures in the harry potter newspapers you know this felt like the first uh, the first um, apple enabled step towards that so, where does the owl delivered post coming to this metaphor <laughs> so you know we've got we've got news plus which again i fear we're probably not going to see here for a while um uh then we've got uh, arcade which i expect we will get here they said i, I forget how many whether it was a uh, 100 or 150 countries were getting arcade uh, that makes sense because you don't have any of the same licensing uh problems you would have with with existing publications because presumably the 50 game i mean the 100 plus games that apple's putting out it essentially owns or in some sense has distribution exclusive distribution rights to so that that should get here uh, then we've got the Apple TV plus uh, again Apple clearly owns the content that it's making with Spielberg and company yeah. so that's that should get here but then the final one which we won't get uh, along with news of course is the is Apple card and frankly I thought that Apple card was the most interesting announcement is, uh, of them all you know that Apple has gotten into the financial services space, you know, in a way, Apple Pay is just a payment mechanism that facilitates payments from existing, mer- I mean, existing um, banks, right? All it's doing is being a conduit for your card and the retailer. Um, whereas, you know, Apple Card is, is an actual standalone financial product. You've got personal financial management tools built in, a la 22.7 here or Mint in the US, um, where it'll track your spending. Uh, I thought the, the mix of... Um, where you spent to help make sense of you know those cryptic line items where companies aren't called what they trade as um I sure that i mean that, that alone is i mean that that's very 22 7 it reminds me of it a lot and in fact some of the financial health services they're talking about remind me of what discovery is trying to do with it's absolutely with it's discovery a bank. behavioral yeah. bank yeah. um but i, I mean just that alone is just making things more user-friendly. And, and there's no reason any other bank couldn't do that. Mm. But here's the thing, right? Um, <laughs> some of the criticism is it's going to be a bank card without a number, um, you know, without all the usual stuff that you need to <laughs> have a credit card. Um, but people want it anyway. And, and that's, I guess that's what Apple's so good at is making things really simple. It'll just be a card within the Apple wallet on your, on your iPhone. Yep. Yeah, indeed. And okay, I mean, and you get a 2% daily cashback uh, service where you get cashback um, from actually spending the card. But, I mean, that's an interesting thing, right? Or, it's of back- course, 3% if you buy Apple products. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Um, but that's 
pretty useful. I mean, that's basically a way to finance buying Apple products or buying Apple things that Apple will get. And if, and it's interesting how many companies in the world want to be a bank. Telcos mm-hmm. want to be a bank. Insurance companies want to be a bank. Apple wants to be a bank. Um, you know, banks want to be, you know, fintech banks. Uh, sure. If you look at products like Shift, for instance, from Standard Bank, that's an incredibly good product as far as as, as I can see. It's, it's a really clever way of doing things. So Apple wants to get in on that business and clearly there's something for them it's going to have no monthly fees no service fees no competitive fairly competitive i had a quick glance earlier uh, fairly competitive looking um interest rates compared to a lot of other u.s uh credit card options and then i mean i'm just sorry we won't see this here but of course we can't really complain given how sport we are for mobile payment options these days i mean of course the thing that makes me laugh is that to use apple pay you have to link it to a credit card right so (laughs) so so to use this very innovative new non-credit card credit card you have to use an old-fashioned credit card absolutely yeah and i mean i'm busy i'm using samsung pay uh, enthusiastically and absolutely that's still just linked to my to my physical card i mean what we what we still need is that that uh, disruption that gets rid of that entirely and maybe it'll come this year as you said there's exciting banking things to come but but let's move on uh, time is time is short and uh, the other big announcement this week you know it's been a really big one from from the mobile companies uh, is huawei just yeah. hours ago unveiled its new p30 range of devices uh in paris um and frankly uh, they look incredible they do and i and i gotta say i mean huawei has for the last year or so usurped the number one spot in all of stuff's rankings in our smartphone super tests yep where we look at all the these super smartphones it's it's come out number one it's beaten samsung Samsung had beaten Apple a few years back because of the sheer quality of its camera and its screen. And Huawei has taken that mantle from Samsung uh, in the same way it's taken the global number two position and the South African number two position from Apple. The picture quality is really extraordinary. Indeed. And also we're just seeing Huawei doing some of the most interesting things, you know, the uh, the in-display fingerprint sensor that came out in the Porsche Edition Mate phone of not even of last year, of the year before. What we've also got is the most amazing innovations on the camera tech side. So, yeah. you know, we had the triple camera from our... Well, first we had the double camera. Then we had the triple camera. Then we had the triple camera with ultra-wide angle lens that we saw in the Mate 20, which remains, you know, it was, it was our favorite phone of last year. And it's Winner just phenomenal. Winner of the phone of the year in the Stuff Gadget Awards. Yeah. And now we have an early competitor again uh, this year for the, for this year's title in the form of the, the P30 Pro. And, you know, what they've done... Is is they've stuck to the three camera setup of the Mate 20 Pro, but now the telephoto, or first the, the sensor of the main camera has gotten bigger, and that just generally means better low light performance, better high ISO. Uh, but then the telephoto camera, it used to be three times optical zoom on the Mate 20. Now on the P30 Pro, it's five times. And I think what they've done that's very interesting is they've made it a, a sort of in the style of a periscope. So there's a prism in the camera uh, I mean, there's a prism uh, sort of behind the lens and then the rest of the lens elements arranged sideways, if you like, in the body of the phone. So you're able to create a, a, a longer telephoto zoom without
without having anything protrude from the back of the camera. It's the same technology we've seen pioneered by companies like Light. Uh, if you remember, Light was making that uh, device that had sort of 16 or 15 or 16 lenses on the back of what looked like uh, a smartphone. And, you know, Huawei's just really, really pushing the envelope here. They're promising uh, the 50 times digital zoom. Now, now, normally, you know, a few years ago, digital zoom would be the kind of thing we would just wholly disregard because digital zoom was just rubbish. You may as well just take a regular picture and zoom in on it. But that's just not the case anymore. Digital zoom is much, much smarter because you've got the combination of years of refined algorithms with things like the anti-shake technology. Yeah. I mean, the thing that blows me away most about the Samsung, to talk about a recently released phone, the most useful and interesting feature I found on that phone is the stabilized video. So like the recent GoPros. That's the S10 Plus. Yeah, on the S10 Plus, exactly. And on the S, the regular S10. So it shoots at, at the highest resolution and then it uses the accelerometers uh, and cropping into that highest resolution image to give you super smooth 1080p video. And Huawei is now promising the same feature on the P30 and the P30 Pro. So, you know, what we've seen is, you know, there's, there's inevitably this leapfrogging and this catching up between brands. But what's been interesting is that for the last couple of devices, Huawei's been the one setting the pace and everyone else has had to play catch up with them as opposed to it being the other way around, which is what it was five years ago. Yeah, indeed. I mean, I, we'll put the link in the show notes, but the pictures Craig took of London Bridge in the Mate 20 Pro last year are just extraordinary. I mean, you look at this photograph and I, ha- I show it off often. This is what was taken with a cell phone. Sure. I suppose we should call it a smartphone, but it, it, it's extraordinary. I mean, I began my career as a, as a journalist, as a photographer, the, the quality of this photograph using a smartphone is just unbelievable. And I saw a comment today, someone was talking about whether we had hit sort of the peak technology in smartphones for in terms of cameras. And all that this reminds me is that, well, no, absolutely not. You know, the last couple of years, we've seen such incredible improvements. You know, now the flexibility that a, you know, any of the big flagships, but especially the Huawei's, as those are what we're talking about, the flexibility that it offers you to go from ultra wide to really zoomed, you know, it genuinely is the sort of thing you could only achieve with a really, really big camera rig. And there are still things, though, I think, that you cannot match. There are certain things, certain, you know, image attributes that we still can't quite fake with software, but heck, it's just getting closer and closer. You had me at heck. (laughs) So there we have it. I mean, what a world we live in where Apple product launches are about services and the the physical product launches are kind of throwaway before events to the lead up of a of a product launch and and the, the most e- exciting phone is coming from uh, Huawei a company 10 years ago people no one even knew the name of well there you have it we live in a rushingly fast exciting world thank you for listening to the stuff podcast i'm toby shapshack and the dapper well-dressed recently married craig wilson is over there <laughs> thanks toby chat to you again soon